Our text for this morning, beloved people of God, is Psalm 29. And uh, Matthew 8, the passage which we read, was an illustration also to us of the power of the Lord's voice. Not only did he there in that passage still the waves of the sea, but he also cast out from two uh, demon-possessed men a legion of devils. Let's consider this psalm under the theme, the power of the voice of Yahweh. The power of the voice of Yahweh. First, it inspires a summons to worship, verses 1 and 2. Secondly, it raises a great storm verses 3 to 9, and finally, it gives the Lord's people no reason to fear, verses 10 and 11. First of all, then, in verses 1 and 2, we look at the summons to worship. The voice of the Lord inspires a summons to worship. David begins this psalm with three times saying, Give unto the Lord. The first time he says, give unto the Lord, he tells us who must give to the Lord. O you mighty ones. The second time, he tells us what they should give to the Lord. Glory and strength. And the third time, he tells us why they should give to the Lord. The glory due to his name. Now that expression in the first line of the psalm, O you mighty ones, is an expression that's found a few other times in the scriptures. There's one exact duplicate of that expression in Psalm 89 verse 6. For who in the heavens can be compared to the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened to the Lord? But that word mighty in both of these passages may also be translated God. Give unto the Lord, O you sons of God. And again in Psalm 89, verse 6, who among the sons of God can be likened to the Lord. There's a very similar expression found in four other places. In the Old Testament, the first is Genesis 6, verse 4. It's not exactly the same, but again, you could translate it, sons of God. There were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them, those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. And again, then, in Job, chapter 1, Job chapter 1, verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. Job 2, verse 1 repeats this. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And finally, Job 38, verses 6 and 7. Job 38, verses 6 and 7, 2. What were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Now, 
in the passages in Job and also in Psalm 89, it is pretty clear if you look at those passages that that term refers to angels. Genesis 6, of course, is the passage that's in dispute. And there's been much discussion about that passage over the years. But it seems impossible to take it there as a reference to angels because we know from the scriptures that the angels neither marry nor are given in marriage. However, because of the prevailing use of that term in the Old Testament, I think we should take it here in Psalm 29 also as a reference to angels. Give unto the Lord, O you sons of God, is calling upon the angels to worship him. And David addresses the angels here because they are the greatest and the highest of God's creatures, the most powerful of all of those creatures in this earthly creation anyway, though they will not be in the new creation. They are the most glorious of all the creatures of God, and they stand nearest to God. These angels are summoned to worship then here in order to uh, compel us to consider the fact that even though they are so glorious and so mighty, these angels also must bow before God. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. By their words and by their reverence for the Lord, these angels are to acknowledge that they too are only creatures and cannot compare in glory and power with the Lord who summons them here in this psalm to his worship. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. And they are to give that glory to him because it is due to his name. Actually, the Hebrew here is precisely give unto the Lord the glory of his name. And the name refers, of course, to that name Yahweh. That name Yahweh appears in this psalm, Psalms 11 verses, 18 times. A very strong emphasis then on that name of Yahweh. Give unto the Lord the glory of his name, that is the glory of his name Yahweh. And that emphasis, the emphasis on that name here is not on his covenant faithfulness especially, but is especially on the what it reveals about him as he is in himself. He is the eternal one. From age to age he lives. He is the unchangeable one who is evermore the same. And he is the absolutely self-sufficient one. Of that name, our Lord Jesus Christ says in John 8, Before Abraham was, I am. And of the Lord himself, Moses says in Psalm 90, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. They are to give to God the glory, then, that belongs to his name, acknowledging, in fact, that all glory and strength are his, that even that glory and strength that are theirs as creatures of his hands 
his glory given to them, loaned to them, if you will, by the God who created them. So the psalmist summons these angels to worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Again, people of God, we have to look at some scriptural passages in order to understand that phrase, beauty of holiness. It occurs in three other places. First of all, in 1 Chronicles 16, verse 29. 1 Chronicles 16, verse 29, where David is singing a psalm to the Lord, and he says in the course of that psalm, Give to the Lord the glory, do his name, bring an offering, and come before him. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. And David, we should note, wrote this song in connection with his preparation for the building of the temple. This song that David wrote is quoted in part in Psalm 96. In fact, you find the exact words of the verse we just read in Psalm 96. And then there's one other passage where you find this, and that's in 2 Chronicles 20, verses 20 and 21. Here, Jehoshaphat and the people of Israel are going out to make war with the Moabites, the Ammonites, and the Edomites. And we read, So they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord, and who should praise the beauty of holiness. As they went out before the army and were saying, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endures forever. Now it's especially that passage that points us to the truth that that term refers in the first place to Jehovah himself. They are to go out before the army praising the beauty of holiness, that is praising the Lord who is holy, who is beautiful in his holiness. But here in Psalm 29 and also in 1 Chronicles, that, that term cannot refer to the Lord himself. Because it said, praise him in the beauty of holiness. And I think what the idea of that term is really that it encompasses not only the beauty of the holiness that belongs to the Lord, but also, people of God, the beauty of that holiness as it is revealed in his temple. And that's the point. God established for himself in the nation of Israel a house where he could live and his presence in that house sanctified it, made it a holy place, made it a place beautiful in holiness so that the people of God celebrate the beauty of the Lord's dwelling, celebrate the beauty of the city of Zion, for example, in Psalm 48. But he also consecrated for himself a priesthood to serve him in that house, making a holy priesthood that was beautiful in its holiness. And he consecrated for himself a people to dwell in that house, calling his people to holiness 
and to the beauty of holiness as they lived with him there in that place. The whole of his dwelling place and all of those who come into that place are characterized then by that beauty of holiness. And the angels now here in this psalm are summoned to join that throng of holy ones in the holy temple before the holy Lord to praise the beauty of his holiness. Holiness then is a thing that is fitting to his house. That brings us then to the second part of the psalm, verses 3 to 9, where we consider that the voice of the Lord, the power of the voice of the Lord, raises a great storm. Now if you look at the particular version of the New King James that we have here, you will see that they divide this section up into three subsections, each of which is five lines long. And I think that's an accurate division of this subsection. Verses 3 and 4, verses 5, 6, and 7, and then verses 8 and 9. You have these three groups of five lines each within these 15 lines of verses 3 to 9. There are a couple of characteristics of this section that we have to notice. One of the characteristics is that there are several parallelisms in this section in which David moves from the general to the specific. So in verse 3, he speaks of waters, and then at the end of the verse, many waters, or better, I think, great waters. In verse 5, he talks about cedars, and then in the second line, about the cedars of Lebanon. In verse 6, he mentions a calf, but in the second part of the verse, he identifies that calf specifically as a young wild ox. And then again in verse 8, he shakes the wilderness, but in the second part of the verse, he talks about the wilderness of Kadesh. So you see him moving in these parallels, parallelisms, from the general to the specific. And the idea is not that he's talking about two different things in each of these parallelisms. He's talking about the same thing, but he's leading us to the specific identification of the image he has in mind by first referring to it in a general way and then identifying it specifically by name. So when he says the voice of the Lord is over the waters, he means the same waters as at the end of the verse. When he talks about the cedars in verse 5, he's talking about the same cedars that he mentions in the second part of that verse, and so on. He, this is a characteristic of the scriptures, of the Old Testament scriptures, especially poetry in general, that you have this kind of movement from general to specific often. And it doesn't mean two separate things. But now let's notice, and here I think is why you see that this is divided into three sections of five lines each, that David also, at the beginning of each one of these sections, begins by talking about the voice of the Lord, and then mentions the Lord himself. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The Lord is over many waters. 
The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord splinters the cedars of Lebanon. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. Therefore, thereby impressing on us in a very powerful way by this careful arrangement of these materials, how great is the power of the Lord's voice. And notice, finally, that in each of these sections, a different location is mentioned. A different geographic location. First, it's the waters. And I think, though it's impossible to be sure, I believe, I think that the great waters of the second part of that verse is the Mediterranean Sea. Then you move into Lebanon, a country to the north of the land of Israel, in verse 5. And finally, in verse 8, you move to Kadesh, which was a place to the south, of the land of Israel. In fact, it was from the wilderness of Kadesh that Moses sent out the 12 spies who went into Canaan and then came back with their evil report, or at least 10 of them did. And finally, in this section, you end up in the temple, and in his temple, everyone says glory. So you have this movement of the location. But all of this material, this variety of material is tied together, people of God, by the description of a very great storm, a very powerful thunderstorm that begins over the great waters, probably over the Mediterranean Sea. There the God of glory thunders. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters or great waters. Part, the verse 4 here is particularly powerful if you translate the Hebrew literally. The voice of the Lord in power. The voice of the Lord in majesty. There's no verb. And the two things, the two words there are just simply adjectives to which, which describe to us the voice of the Lord. The voice of the Lord in power. The voice of the Lord in majesty. In that great thunder, of course, that is mentioned in verse 3. We move then to Lebanon. And here in Lebanon, that great storm shatters the cedars. Now the cedars of Lebanon are famous even today. They are very large conifers found in the mountains of that part of the Mediterranean coastline. They grow to be up to about 130 feet tall, according to the Bible dictionaries, and about 8 feet in diameter at full growth, their trunks. The voice of the Lord shatters these cedars of Lebanon, these enormous trees. Then, people of God, we read in verse 6 of Lebanon and Syria, and these are two mountains in that same country, two of the highest mountains there. Syrian is also known in the Old Testament scriptures, by the way, under the name Mount Hermon. They're the same mountain. He makes these mountains, David says, skip like a calf 
Lebanon and Syrian like a young wild ox. And we're reminded here, of course, of Psalm 114. When Israel went out of Egypt, the house of Jacob from his people of strange language, Judah became his sanctuary and Israel his dominion. The sea saw it and fled. Jordan turned back. The mountains skipped like rams, the little hills like lambs. What ails you, O sea, that you fled? O Jordan, that you turned back? O mountains, that you skipped like rams? O little hills like lambs? Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord. And finally, in verse 7, we see the voice of the Lord creating the lightning. The voice of the Lord divides the flames of fire. We get a picture of the lightning, great bolts of lightning branching and dividing over the sky and striking the trees and the earth in various places. So that you get a picture here in these three verses of a very tumultuous and very powerful storm. A storm that is breaking the cedars of Lebanon. A storm that is full of lightning that helps to shatter those trees. Even the mountains are shaking. We move then, in verses 8 and 9, to the wilderness of Kadesh, to the south of the land of Israel. And I think we have the same storm here, because of that phrase in verse 9, he strips the forests bare. There are some commentators who want to take verse 8 as referring to an earthquake, but I think that the stripping the forests bare doesn't really fit the idea of an earthquake. It's really, again, here, I think, the same storm that broke over Lebanon. That voice shakes the wilderness, that is, it makes the ground tremble. It makes the deer give birth, and it strips the forests bare. Now, another interesting feature of this section of the psalm is the word that is translated shakes in verse 8, both halves of that verse. That is the same word, interestingly enough, that is used in verse 9, the first line, the voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth. It's a Hebrew word that has a wide range of meaning in the Old Testament, and if you look at a concordance in that word, you'll see that in almost every passage it's translated in a different way. It's so wide, it has so wide a range of meaning. Its basic idea is to shake or to writhe. And perhaps we can best convey the idea of this verse, these two verses, by translating this way, the voice of the Lord convulses the wilderness The the Lord convulses the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer convulse. And the idea is to give birth. The word actually has that connotation in other passages as well. He's making the deer give birth, but the emphasis is on the pain of the birth, the writhing or agony or convulsion that is necessary in order for the deer to give birth. And this, too, I think, is a result of the storm. The terror of this storm has overwhelmed these deer, and they are giving birth prematurely. We see the power of the Lord's voice over great waters. 
over Lebanon and then over the wilderness of Kadesh. And in his temple, finally, worshipers are gathered, witnessing all of this tumult, all of this great evidence of the power of the voice of the Lord and crying glory. Glory to the Lord. They are giving to him the glory of his name as they were summoned to do in verses 1 and 2. That brings us then to verses 10 and 11. It gives the Lord's people, the voice of the Lord gives the Lord's people no reason to fear. Now think for a minute in more general terms about what you have in verses 3 to 9. You have thunder, you have lightning, you have probably wind, you have certainly clouds, you have destruction, trembling earth. These are signs, people of God, not only of the power of the voice of the Lord, but also of judgment. Judgment at least is hovering in the background of this sound, the idea of judgment. In the second place, if you think about the geographic regions mentioned here in verses 3 to 9, and if I'm correct that the Great Waters is the Mediterranean, you have areas that are around the land of Israel. The Mediterranean to the east, Lebanon to the north, Kadesh to the south. But you don't see this violence and this tumult within Israel. Within Israel, his worshipers are gathered, crying glory in response to this power of the Lord's voice. I think that's the significance of those geographic regions. That David is really saying... All of this tumult, all of this violence, this enormously powerful storm is happening around Israel, but not in it. And that's the point of the psalm, too. The voice of the Lord in majesty, the voice of the Lord in power. But that voice of the Lord not meant to terrify his people. And that's what we see, too, in the various expressions of verses 10 and 11. The Lord sat enthroned at the flood. That's the one past tense in the psalm. The Lord sat enthroned at the flood. All the other Expressions of this psalm are present tense. In every other place in this psalm, David is talking about now. What's happening now? But suddenly in verse 10, you have this historical reference to the past. The Lord sat enthroned at the flood. And there are some translations who, that don't make this the flood, a reference to the flood of Noah. But I think that's what we have to do here. David is taking us back now to the flood of Noah's day, to that day when the Lord brought great waters, indeed much greater waters than we're talking about here in this psalm, upon the earth and destroyed the earth, but saved believing Noah and his family. 
The Lord, he says, sat enthroned at the flood. You hear, it's, it, it is as if he's saying to the people of God, you hear the voice of the Lord all around you. You see the power of that voice working upon Lebanon and Kadesh and the great waters. You see what that voice can accomplish. And you may be inclined to be afraid of that voice. But remember, remember that the Lord sat enthroned at the flood. Just as he saved Noah and his family, he is able, able to save you also. And the Lord sits as king forever. Your king was king then at the time of the flood. He is king now at this time as his voice is shattering the cedars of Lebanon. And he will be king forever and ever. The Lord sits as king. The same is true of verse 11. He means again to reassure the people of God. The Lord will give strength to his people. That same strength which shatters the cedars of Lebanon, give unto the Lord, remember verse 1, glory and strength. And again in verse 4, the voice of the Lord is powerful or the voice of the Lord is strong. Now the Lord will give strength to his people. That same strength of the Lord's voice, which shatters the cedars of Lebanon, is in them. Is in his people. So that when that voice shatters the cedars and shakes the wilderness, they remain unshaken. Remember what Hebrews 12 says about the Lord's judgment? When He comes in judgment, Hebrews 12 says, He will shake all things that can be shaken so that only those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Well, He gives strength to His people. That same strength that shakes the cedars, that breaks the cedars, He gives strength to his people, so that they are not shaken. And the Lord will bless his people with peace. That word peace is very powerful here, isn't it? It stands in contrast to the whole psalm. The psalm is a psalm of thunder and lightning, of uh, trembling earth, of judgment, of the roaring of the voice of the Lord. The psalm is a psalm of powerful summons, even to the angels to worship the Lord. Give unto the Lord, O you sons of God, give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due to his name. And it ends, the Lord will bless his people with peace. With peace. That's what he gives to his own. Having heard the word of God, let us say Amen. Amen.